Well, again, I want to say good morning. I want to thank all of you for being here, those at our, Mill, at our Sugarloaf campus, those at our Mill Creek campus, those watching online, those who are watching by TV, however you're joining us today, I am really, really, really thankful. There was a fifth grade girl, and she came home from school. She was so pumped and so excited. And her mother said, what happened? She said, Mom, today I was voted the prettiest girl in the class. She thought, it's great. Well, she came on the next day. She's even more excited. And the mother said, uh, well, what happened today? She said, I was voted the most popular girl in the class. Her mom said, man, that's great. Well, she came back the next day, super pumped. She said, what is it? She said, mom, today I was voted most likely to succeed. And the mother said, that's just fantastic. Well, a week later, week later she came in, dragging through the door. She was crying, tears coming down her cheeks. She was just totally shattered. And her mom said, well, well, what happened? She said, well, Mama, today we had another contest, and I won that one too. And she said, why are you so sad? She said, because I was voted most stuck up. Now, humility is hard to come by. And I'm going to make a confession today. Not only is humility hard to come by, pride is hard to admit. Most of us in this room, most of us listening right now, if you were honest, you would say, I don't really have a problem with pride. I know people who do, but I don't really have a problem with pride. And, you know, I, I'm going to do something right now. It's not in my notes. I thought about it last night because I was thinking, how, how do I apply this message? The, the middle letter in pride is the word what? Is the letter what? I, right? That's the, that's the middle letter in pride. So, I, I, I was talking to the Lord last night about my message. I said, Lord, it's a good message, a lot of good information. I hope people, you know, learn a lot. But how do you apply it? How, how, do, you, how, how, do, you, how do you deal with the whole problem of pride? And how do you really talk about humility? So I want to make, make a confession to you this morning about my own pride. I've had people say to me in my ministry through the years, you know, you need to be more vulnerable. You need to tell people more about how you struggle and your weaknesses. I've never said this in my entire ministry, but you know what? They're right. And you know why I don't do that very much? They're right. And you know why I don't do that very much? I'm too proud. I, I'm afraid, but I'm the pastor. They're not supposed to know that I've got weaknesses. They're not supposed to know that I struggle. They're not supposed to know that, 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 that pride is a problem that I have. And I, and I just want to give you some examples and just see if it fits. For me, I don't pray like I ought to. And I'll give you, a, you may say, excuse me, you're, you're the pastor. I know that. But I don't always pray like I ought to. Prayer is hard work to me. And as I was talking to the Lord last night, and I said, okay, I'm going to admit this. Then the Lord spoke to my heart and said, but why don't you pray more? And then it hit me. Because of pride. Because when we don't pray, here's what we're really telling God. I can handle it. I got it. I don't need you. Go help somebody else. If I need you, I'll pray to you. As a matter of fact, here's what's true about all of us. Just don't, so don't look too holy now. You know when we really do our praying? When we really need God. We don't need God. We just kind of put prayer on the shelf. That's pride. I'll give you another example. We ask people to serve. Would you help us in the nursery care for kids? Would you help us teach children? Would you help us work with our teenagers? We say, and here's, we, we say well, you know, I, I'm busy or, you know, somebody else can do that. No, it's pride. You know, no, I'm not going to take care of my, listen, I, I'm a parent or I'm a grandparent and I did my time. I, somebody, it's, it's somebody else's turn. That's pride. 
No, I'm, I'm not going to work out, and I'm not going to help park cars because weather like this, I could get sick, or I'm, I'm just, I'm too old to do that. It's just pride. So we don't serve. Now, here's a good one. How, how, why, why don't we get into small groups? We talk about this all the time, and the majority of our people, majority of us, we're not in small groups. You know why? It's pride, because here's what you're saying if you're not in a small group. You're saying, number one, even though Jesus felt like he ought to be in a small group, I'm better than Jesus. Or, you know what? I, I don't really need anybody to encourage me. I don't need to be in a small group. I can do the Lone Ranger thing on my own. I don't really need to be in a I don't need to encourage people, and I don't need people to encourage me. It's pride. Why don't we read our Bible? Because deep down, here's what we're saying. I think I can guide myself. I, I think I can run my life on my own. I don't really need to read the Bible. I don't really need to hear from you. I, I've got this. Okay, I'm, I'm good. Go help somebody else. Or how about giving? We say, well, I can't afford it, or, you know, I've, I've got too much debt, I've got too much this, I've got too much that. No, it's really pride, because here's the reason we don't give, because we think it's our money. We think it belongs to us. We think the number one reason why we have it is to bless us. So I could go on and on and on today, but I just hope I'm sharing with you today why this message is such a big deal. Because the truth of the matter is, beginning with yours truly, we all deal with pride more than we think we do. We're all filled with more pride than we think that we are. That's why we're doing this series that we're calling Mirror Image. It's a series about the most important part of any human being, and that is our character. Because at the end of the day and at the end of, the, at the end of your life, your character will trump everything about you. It will trump how much money you made. It will trump how famous you were. It will trump how popular you were. It will trump how high the ladder you climbed in your company because the mirror never lies. And so what we've been saying in this series is if you had a mirror that would show what you look like, not on the outside but on the inside, what would you look like? What would you see when you look in the mirror ethically and morally and spiritually? Now, here's, here, listen carefully. If so far as we've been going through this, we've talked about integrity, we've talked about honesty, today we're talking about humility. If so far you are going, check, 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 I'm a person of integrity, I'm a person of honesty, I am a person of humility, I am a great, great guy. Okay, would you do me a favor? Would you be humble about that? Because nothing will take you lower than pride, and nothing will lift you higher than humility. And we're going to look today at a person that I believe absolutely personified humility. She was a woman. In fact, practically the whole world knows her by her first name. I was just to read this the other day. There are 93 women in the Bible who speak. 49 of them are named. Together, they say 14,056 words. 11% of all the words spoken in Scripture were spoken by women. But few, if any, would dispute that the woman we're going to talk about today stands out above all the others with her character and with her communication, who she was and what she said. And this is not my personal opinion, but because Scripture itself says she is the most blessed woman who's ever lived and the most highly favored by God of all the women in the Bible. And even today, she is universally admired by a universally admired woman by billions of people around the world. We talk about her every Christmas. You know her name. Her name is Mary. And Mary is the epitome. She is the personification of humility because what made her, here's the amazing thing, 
We think, well, I know why Mary is so great. I know why Mary was so blessed. I know why Mary was most favored. She was the mother of the Son of God. That is not why she was so blessed. It was her humility that moved God to let her be who she was. If you've got a copy of God's Word, I want you to turn to the Gospel of Luke. There are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke. We're in Luke chapter 1. Let me tell you what's going on. God's people had not seen from God, had not seen really seen God, or, or they, they, they had not heard from God in 400 years. For four plus centuries, there had been no new revelation from God, no new miracles, and the silence from heaven was deafening. And then to the least likely of people, in the least likely of places, at the least likely of times, God sends an angel to make an announcement that would shake the world and change the world forever. And the angel speaks first to a teenage peasant girl who couldn't even sign her name. As a matter of fact, he speaks to a lowly minimum wage. After that, he speaks to a lowly minimum wage carpenter who had no claim to fame. Then several angels speak to shepherds who were considered so low on the, on the, on the, on the social ladder they couldn't even testify in court. And so when you begin this story, it's almost like God is looking everywhere for people for whom humility would not be a problem. So as we look at Mary this morning, here's what we're going to see. We're going to see time and time again how God places a supreme value on a sublime virtue called humility. Now, this may be hard for you to believe, we enjoy the blessings we enjoy today. I mean, right now, we enjoy the greatest blessings of life today because of a woman who didn't go as high as she could go. She went as low as she could go. And because she got as low as she could go, she went higher than any woman's ever gone before or since. So let me tell you how God looks at, how God values humility in their life of Mary. Okay, ready? Number one, God looks for the presence of humility. God's always looking for the presence of humility. Now, our story begins in verse 26 of Luke chapter 1. You, many of you have heard it. We talk about it a lot at Christmas. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Now, if you were to go back 2,000 years and you were to have read this for the first time, you would have been astounded. Because remember, God hadn't said one word for 400 years. And now, after four centuries, he decides to interrupt the world's programming for the most momentous broadcast in history. And where does God decide he's going to break his silence? Where does God decide he's going to reveal himself again? Where does God decide to say a divine word? Not in Judea, which was the heart of God's work for hundreds of years. Not in Rome, which was the capital of the most powerful empire in the world. Not even in Jerusalem, the city which was the apple of his eye. First of all, he announces it in Galilee. Now, if you ever get to go to a meeting in Israel, I hope you can go. I'm going again this year. If you ever get to go to Israel, one of the places we'll visit is the area of Galilee. Galilee was an area that was known as being on the other side of the tracks. Galilee was where the lower class people 
live. Uh, Jeff Foxworthy would have said, you might be a redneck if you're from Galilee. Okay, that's what he would have said. Because, and, and, and it gets worse. Because where in Galilee did this announcement take place? You know, if Jeopardy had been, I love, I love Jeopardy. You know, da, 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 da. I, I love Jeopardy. I love that show. Well, 2,000 years ago, if Jeopardy had existed, the answer would have been, where did God announce to Mary the birth of Jesus? And the question under the category famous cities would have been Jerusalem. No, it wouldn't have been. It takes place in Nazareth. And again, Nazareth. Jewish mouths would have dropped and heads would have shaken. Because the first time you ever hear about Nazareth in the entire Bible is in the Gospel of Luke. It's never mentioned in the Old Testament. You don't find it anywhere in ancient history because nobody and nothing of any importance ever came out of Nazareth. Scholars estimate maybe at most it had 200 people. So in other words, Nazareth was the kind of town that you went through, not the kind of town you went to. Nobody vacationed in Nazareth. Nobody said, why don't we go spend a week in Nazareth? Nobody honeymooned in Nazareth. Nobody just hung out in Nazareth. You know, have you ever had the experience that we've all probably had this where maybe you're going on a vacation, you're going on a long trip, and, and you pull into one of those little towns to just, and all you want to do is fill up your car, get a Slurpee and a corn dog, use the bathroom, wash the bugs off your windshield, and get away as fast as you can, thanking God you don't live in that town. We've all had that experience. Okay, that was Nazareth. If you ever went to Nazareth and when you left it, you would say, God, I want to thank you. I don't live in this town. It was the headquarters for a garrison of Roman soldiers. Pagan temples had been built there for the worship of Roman gods. Many of the young girls, the young Jewish girls, they were known to date, fraternize, have relations with, and even marry Roman soldiers to the disgrace of the Jewish people. As a matter of fact, there was a sign that you would see when you went into Nazareth, and it said this in the, in the Hebrew language. What happens in Nazareth stays in Nazareth. That was the kind of town you were dealing with. Listen, Nazareth had such a bad reputation that when a man named Nathaniel, when, when they were trying to talk to this man named Nathaniel, and they were saying, man, you need to come see this guy named Jesus. You need to meet this guy named Jesus. You have got to get acquainted with this guy named Jesus. Nathaniel said, well, where is he from? And when they said Nazareth, <laughs> here's what Nathaniel said. Does anything good come from there? You're kidding me. You want me, you want me to meet this guy from Nazareth? That was a rhetorical question. Now, that raises a great question for me. Why in the world would God make the most momentous announcement in history in a region that is full of hillbillies? In a town that is full of paganism, in a town that's running over with Roman soldiers who would later crucify the son that came there. Well, one of the reasons why is because God knew in that humble town was a humble little teenage girl that was just humble enough for him to use. Now, see, God, this is another thing about it's just so amazing to me how differently God sees things the way we see things. Because you know what we're really impressed with? We're impressed with big cities. I mean, many of you in this room may, may have, can relate to this. 
I, I remember when I was growing up, you know what my mom used to say and my, and my dad used to say, mainly my mom, my dad didn't care that much. Mom always wanted to go to New York, always wanted to visit New York City. When people come to America, there's one city they want to visit. Everybody wants to go to New York City. You know, it's, it's, and it hurt my feelings. I grew up in a little town called Oakwood. Nobody ever said, man, I can't wait to get to Oakwood. Can't wait to just hang out in Oakwood. Man, I want to go visit the restaurants in Oakwood. Nobody did that. Because we, we tend to get real impressed with the big cities. 62% of Americans live in the major cities of this country. Even though they only comprise 3% of the land mass, 6 out of 10 people say, I want to live in a big city. You would have thought if God was going to make this announcement, you would have thought if God was going to look for someone to carry his, that baby, you would have thought he would have gone to Jerusalem or he would have gone to Rome. Yet God doesn't look for a diva. He wasn't looking for a beauty queen. He wasn't looking for a movie star on Broadway. God's looking for a humble, no-name country girl in a one-red-light town. It's not the bright light of big places that really impresses God. It's the dim glow of humble places that impresses God. Matter of fact, you do something sometime. Go study the great leaders of our world, presidents, generals, CEOs, go study them. You know what you'll find about the vast majority? They came from very humble beginnings. That's the way God does. God looks in humble places. He looks in places of humility. Secondly, God seeks people of humility. He doesn't just look for places of humility. He seeks people of humility. So we'll keep reading. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin, place to be married, to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Now, the first time we ever hear about Mary or meet Mary, an angel is talking to her. And by the way, contrary to what you see in the movies, we've all seen this, right? Mary was a young girl living in a poverty-stricken region, engaged to a lowly carpenter. And I'm not trying to be condescending when I say this. Let me just be honest with you. Had you been walking in Nazareth during this time, had you had walked by Mary, you would have given Mary a second look. You would have given Mary a second thought. She was just a little old country girl, a run-of-the-mill, average young girl, born to the lower class from a peasant's town in the poorest region of Israel, promised in marriage to a minimum wage laborer. She is not a movie star. She is not a beauty queen. She is not a rich socialite. As a matter of fact, she wasn't even a full-grown woman. She was a teenager. Now, by the way, it was the culture that it was not unusual for a, a girl to become betrothed and to be married in, in their early teens. It was common practice in that culture. As a matter of fact, most Bible scholars say, and I'm not in their category, but most Bible scholars say, that Mary was probably no older than 14 years of age when we're reading this story. In other words, she wasn't even old enough to drive. And yet God comes to her, a nobody girl, living in a nothing town, in the middle of nowhere, face to face with an angel, and she hears these unexpected words. The angel went to her and said, greetings you. Now watch this. This is Mary. Greetings you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Now, you're Mary. 
First of all, you can't believe you're talking to an angel. I mean, that's, that gets your attention. Nobody importance ever paid any attention to you. You weren't voted the most likely to succeed at your school. You weren't voted the prettiest girl in your class. You weren't voted the most popular. And this angel is talking to you. And she's just been told by this woman, by this angel, hey, Mary, of all the women on earth, you enjoy the special favor of God. You enjoy the special presence of God. Now, you can certainly understand her response, right? Here's what she says. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. In other words, when the angel said this to Mary, she looked at the angel and said, you talking to me? You talking to me? Do you know who I am? Do you know where I'm from? Do you know my family background? Do you, I mean, you, you, you're talking to me. Are you sure you don't have me confused with somebody else? I, I was reading the other day about a guy in high school. And uh, he wasn't good looking. He was a dork. He was a geek. He had, was, had no athletic skills at all. He wasn't very smart. But he had his eyes on this homecoming queen. I mean, he was enamored with this homecoming queen. And so he decided he would ask her out. So he walked up to her and he said, uh, Beth, w would you go out with me? And I mean, she didn't even hesitate. She said, absolutely not. He looked at her and he said, but Beth, I, listen, I promise you, I'll show you a great time. She looked at him and she said, listen to me, I am not going out with you. He looked at her and he said, well, why? Is there somebody else? And she looked at him and said, there's just got to be. Now, Mary could have understood if she'd been a queen or she'd been a princess, or she had come from a very wealthy family, or she had a, a, a scholarship to Harvard because she was so brilliant. But Mary's not royal. Mary's not rich. Mary has no fortune. Mary has no fame. And this is what makes the next two verses just mind-boggling. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great. He'll be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end, ever. I mean, it never occurred to her, ever. She would be the mother of of God's son. She wanted to be a mother, hoped to be a mother, desired to be a mother, but not the mother of God's son. And by the way, Mary would have never chosen Mary. Mary would have never voted for Mary. Mary would have never selected Mary. And she can't believe God has chosen me. And what you see here is a great picture of her humility. Now, I want you to listen to this. Humility, and this is why it's so hard for us to do. It's so hard for us to have. Humility is not thinking better of yourself than you should. 
Humility is not thinking of yourself at all. Did you hear me? Humility is not just thinking higher of yourself or lower of yourself than you should. It really is not thinking of yourself at all. Because stop and think about this. Why did God's son come into this world through a pregnant, unwed, teenage girl in a culture that honored virginity and shamed pregnancy outside of marriage? And beyond that, why would Jesus be born not in the comfortable surroundings of a palace, a royal palace, but into a feeding trough in a stable? Not to rich and powerful people. Why would Jesus be born to people of the lowest socioeconomic class who, by the way, would suffer the apparent shame of having a child out of wedlock? Why in the world would it be that way? Why in the world would God say to his own son, you're not going to be born to a beauty queen. You're not going to be born to a princess. You're not going to start out in a palace. You're not going to have a silver spoon in your mouth. You're going to come to the lowest of the low. You're going to be born in a place surrounded not by servants and soldiers, but by donkeys and cows. Why in the world would God do that? Because God values something we don't value very much anymore. God values humility. He puts a premium on humility. Listen, God disdains the proud, but he delights in the humble. Isaiah 66, 2 said this, These are the ones I look on with favor, those who are humble and contrite in spirit. I heard my mentor, Dr. Rogers, say one time, I've known some people that were so proud they could strut sitting down. People who get God's attention are not the haughty. They are the humble. People who get God's attention, they're not the people who see how high they can stand, but how low they can stoop. People that get God's attention, it's not the people that push to the front of the line. It is people who willingly go to the back of the line. God seeks people of humility. God looks for places of humility. And here's the last thing. God works through the power of humility. Now, I want you to go back and think about something. Remember, Mary was Jewish. She grew up in a Jewish home. She had gone to the synagogue. She had attended the temple. And she had heard how prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel had foretold the coming of this king who would reclaim Israel's throne. He'd be a king like no other king. He would be the Messiah. Now she's being told, this little peasant girl's being told, Mary, you're going to be pregnant. I'm going to make sure you have a baby. You are going to conceive. And by the way, you're not just going to give birth to a boy. You're not even going to give birth to just a king. You're going to give birth to a one-of-a-kind king, the king of kings. Now, let me just stop. Ordinarily, you would think, well, gosh, that, that would kind of make her head swell a little bit. I mean, that, that would pump her up full of pride. Man, look at me. I'm the one that God has chosen. I'm going to be the mother of God's son. I'm going to be the mother of the Messiah. You would think, look, if Mary's just a normal person, you got to I mean, let's give her some props here. If she's just normal, that's got to puff her up with pride. Well, but there's a big problem, a big problem. 
I mean, she's good to go, but she has this little question. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? By the way, what that literally says in the Greek language is, how will this be since I've never known a man? Now, we, we, we kind of, this is one of those verses you kind of blow over and you don't even really realize what she is saying. But Mary knew exactly what she was saying. Mary knew exactly what she was about to get into. Mary knew exactly what she was about to face. She said, I don't understand. What are you talking about? Well, Mary was a peasant girl, but she wasn't dumb. Mary knew how babies were made. Mary didn't believe in the stork. She knew babies didn't come from FedEx. She knew how babies were conceived. And she knew she had never come within a country mile of making a baby with anybody. She had never had relations with anybody. And by the way, for those of you that do not know this, just as an aside, Luke was a doctor. And Luke purposely uses the word for virgin. He wants us to know, look, I'm a doctor. I know what I'm talking about. This is a girl who had never had relations with anybody, never had sex with anybody. Now, we're, we, we, we've been told why she's been going to have a baby. We've been told that you're going to be the birth, give birth to the King of Kings, the Messiah, but we've not been told how. And so then this angel said, well, Mary, it's not going to be by magic, but it is going to be a mystery. So the angel says, don't worry. The Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Now, don't you understand something? This is not a medical explanation. It is a spiritual explanation. It's not a natural explanation. It is a supernatural explanation. She's going to conceive this child in her womb, still a virgin. So he's going to be the heavenly child of an earthly mother, and he's going to be the earthly child of a heavenly father. Now, today, not such a big deal anymore for babies to be born out of wedlock. Four out of ten babies today are born out of wedlock, and in some uh, ethnicities, that is now a majority. And it's commonly accepted. We just don't even pay attention to it anymore. Not so in that culture. Different day. Everyone who knew Mary knew how to read a calendar. And people would realize, okay, Mary, you've gotten pregnant, and Mary, you're going to have a baby, and there hadn't been a wedding yet. You've not been married yet. So there can only be two logical conclusions, only two. All right, either you and Joseph messed up, or Mary, even worse than that, you have been unfaithful to Joseph. We have words for women like that, unfortunately. So here's what Mary's saying. You're about to make me pregnant, and I'm a virgin. You're about to make me pregnant, but you know I've never had relations with anybody. I know I've never had relations with anybody. Joseph at least knows I've never had relations with him. So if I agree to this, if I say, okay, you can have my womb, you can have my body, she knew she would be called unsavory names. She knew that her children, particularly Jesus, would be made fun of. She knew that they would be considered second-class citizens within their own people. She knew. See, we don't know this about Mary. She knew women will cross the other side of the street, Mary, when they see you coming. 
Women will whisper behind your back. Mary, you won't be invited to the neighborhood parties. And by the way, if you doubt what I'm saying, if you think I'm kind of blowing this up, on one occasion when Jesus was talking to the Pharisees about who really are God's children and who really are not God's children, they made a snide remark. Here's what they said to Jesus. We're not illegitimate children. You are. In fact, there's a B word for you, Jesus. But we're not that. We know what you are. We know what your mother was. We know what your mother did. So don't be too holy and mighty with us. Malicious gossip followed Mary all of her life. See, common sense suggests Mary knew this would be a double-edged sword. Now, the blessing is going to be, I'm going to be the mother of the Son of God. The burden's going to be, how am I going to explain this? How am I going to explain this to my parents? How am I going to explain this to his parents? How am I going to explain this to my children? How am I going to explain this to my relatives? How am I going to explain this to the kids I went to high school with? How am I going to explain this on my job application? How am I going to explain this when people ask me? Oh, well, you see, I got pregnant by the Spirit of God. How's that going to work out for us? So she knew the cost of this birth. She knew the price she would have to pay if she bore this child. See, you've never heard this side of the story. And that's why this response she gives is just awesome. She says, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. Do you understand, my wonderful people, do you understand what a difference it would make in your life? Do you understand what a difference it would make in your finances? Do you understand what a difference it would make in your involvement in this church? Do you understand what a difference it would make in the way you relate to other people if you just got up every day and just said one thing? I am the Lord's servant. Just whatever I have, it's yours. Whatever I can do, I'll do. Whatever you want, you can have it. I am the Lord's servant. Now we see the true greatness of Mary. By the way, the word servant refers to the lowliest kind of servant. The word literally means someone that would voluntarily sell themselves into slavery. In other words, it was the most humble act that a person could perform in that society. So you want to know what Mary made Mary such a great woman? As a matter of fact, the greatest woman who has ever lived, it was that statement that put her at the top of the list. I am the Lord's servant. So let's just define humility. And let's just kind of all of us, let's all of us now, let's just see how we do on the humility test. Are you ready? Humility is when obeying the Word of God, doing the will of God, and fulfilling the work of God is more important to you than anything in life, including your own life. So let's just, I'm just asking, so how humble are you really? I mean, I mean, is obeying the Word of God more important to you than anything else? 
You can't say that if you're not even reading your Bible. Is doing the will of God more important to you than anything else? If you know right now you're living outside the will of God in some area of your life, is doing, fulfilling the work of God more important to you than anything else in your life? Serving God wherever you can serve? See, humility means, now some of you not, listen, if I haven't hit you yet, I'm going to give it one more shot because I'm hitting me too. Humility means there is one word you have to write today immediately forever eliminate from your vocabulary. And the one word you've got to eliminate from your, your, your vocabulary, if you're going to achieve the humility you ought to have, is a little word called it. You can't use that word anymore. Because every time you use that word if, it signals to God, I'm putting me first and I'm doing it with pride. Here's, let me tell you what I mean. Pride is when you say things like this. Well, I will do this if it doesn't inconvenience me. I, I will do this if it doesn't cost too much. Uh, I, I will go to the back of the line if there's something in it for me. Or, or I will give if I get what I want first. Because when if walks into the room, humility walks out of the room. That word is gone. Humility has no ifs. No ands and no buts in its vocabulary. So yes, Mary did become the mother of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. But being the mother, this is what I love about this sweet little old lady. Being the mother of Mary, the greatest, being the mother of Jesus, the greatest man who ever lived, never went to her head, it went to her heart. Because when you study about Mary, here's what you find. She never traded on her position. She never asked for a divine mother discount. She never called attention to her role in his birth. She never asked for the spotlight or center stage. She never signed her name, Mary, M-O-G, Mother of God. In fact, you want to hear the last words Mary ever said in Scripture? The last words that ever recorded? Here's the last words she ever said. Do whatever he tells you. Something never changed. I am the servant of the Lord. Do whatever he tells you. But Mary did make a prediction that did come true. Because speaking of her assignment from God, here's what she said. He has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. And Mary did become the most famous woman in history. And today... Billions of people still rise up and call her blessed because of her humility. Mary was a nobody who became greater than almost everybody because she simply said five words and she not only meant them, she lived them. And those five words were, or four words, it's not about me. It's not about me. It's not about me. It's what Jesus said when he went to the cross. He said it over and over and over. Father, it's not about me. It's about them and what they need, and it's about you and what you want. And it's what we must say every single day if we want the blessing 
and we want the favor of God in our own life. So I just close with a question. Where do you need to humble yourself today? Where's the area of pride in your life? I don't tell people about Jesus. I, I never do that because I'm afraid I might get rejected. I'm afraid I might get embarrassed. I'm afraid they might get upset. I'm afraid they may ask me a question I can't answer. I, 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 I. We will never have our one. And we'll never tell anyone about Jesus until we realize it's not about me. It's about them and it's about so we're not going to bow our heads today. I've got a reason for that. Just look up here. We can, you, we can do this while we look at each other. The number one thing that keeps people out of heaven is pride. Because there's only one reason people do not go to heaven. You understand this. You don't want to make it plain. It's not People do not not go to heaven because of what they do. Jesus died for what we do. People don't go to heaven because of what they don't. They don't admit to God they're sinners who need a Savior. They don't, they, don't, they, don't, they, don't, they don't care, at least it doesn't look like, they don't care that Jesus died on the cross so he came back from the grave. And they don't want to give up control of their life for whatever the reason. They don't want Jesus to be their Lord. And there's only one reason for that, pride. If you don't think you need Jesus, you got a pride problem. If you think you can do it on your own, if you think, I believe I can live a life good enough that I can earn my way to God, you got a pride problem. If you don't really believe that without Jesus, you don't even realize how bad you are, you got a pride problem. The ultimate act of humility for us is when we finally are willing to go to a God that already knows the truth about us anyway and says, all my goodness is just like filthy rags in your eyes. I am nothing without you. I can be nothing without you. And I understand now why I need you. So I just wonder who in this room right now would say, talking to God right now. How many of you would want to say this to God right now? How many of you would want to say, God, forgive me for my pride. I now understand. I can go to church, I can be religious, I can get baptized, I can own a Bible, I can give money to the poor, I can live the best life I know how to live, and at the end of the day, if that's all I've got, I'll never be good enough for you. And I know now that pastor's right. I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. His name is Jesus. And then you'd be willing to say right now, just you're talking to him, he knows it. Jesus, I believe you died for my sin. I believe God raised you from the dead. I believe you're alive right now. I need forgiveness, and I'm asking for it. I need the gift of eternal life. I'm asking for it. I want to repent and turn away from my sin, and I'm doing it right now. So, Lord Jesus, as humbly as I know how, I'm asking you to become my Savior and become my Lord. Now, for those of you who said, man, I, I just prayed that. I just said that to the Lord.
Okay. You know why a lot of people pray that? And then when I ask them to do what I'm going to ask you to do right now, to take out this card, there's a card on your in your worship guide. It's called Connection Point. You can't miss it. That little tear out right here. I'm going to ask you right now to tear that card off right now because I want you to register that decision. You know why some of you won't do that? You're too proud. Oh, I, I did that, but I don't want anybody to know I did it. Well, if you're humble, you don't mind any other. Matter of fact, when you give your life to Jesus, you want people to know it. That's why we baptize people. So I'm going to ask you right now, if you made that decision, if you asked Christ to come into your heart, I'm going to ask you right now to tear that card off right now. I'm going to ask you to sign your name. I'm going to ask you to check off the box down at the bottom that says, Today I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And I'm going to ask you to give us some contact information that's accurate. Okay? A real phone number, a real email address, a real mailing address. Okay? I'm going to ask you to do that. There's some of you who would say, I, I don't need to check off that first box. I've accepted Jesus as my Savior. Have you been biblically baptized since then? No. You know, again, you know what the number one reason why people won't get baptized? Pride. I don't want to get my hair wet. I don't want to do that in front of a bunch of people. I, I just don't think it's that big of a deal. That's pride. Yeah, I'm, I'm the first one to tell you. It takes humility to get in a pool of water in front of people and go into the water. I get that. That's exactly what salvation is all about. You humble yourself for him. So some of you here today need to check off that second box. By the way, if you checked off the first box, you need to check off the second one because if you've humbled yourself to the point where you've now received Jesus as your Savior, you ought to humble yourself to the point where you want to be baptized let people know that. Then maybe you want to be a part of our church today. You check off that third box. Now, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. This doesn't take any humility. This is easy. When you leave this building today, you made a decision for Christ. I gave my life to Jesus. I want to be biblically baptized. I want to be a part of this church. Out in the lobby, there's a table called Connection Point. Go to that table. Go to that table. Hand them that card. Don't have to say a word. They'll look at your card. They'll know what you've done. They'll know why you've done it. They'll know what information you need. They will give it to you. Now, how many of you are humble enough, humble enough, fill that card out that we gave last week. Who's your one? If you don't have a one, you got a pride problem. If, you, if you're not willing to, for, for God in the next year to use you just to bring one person to Jesus, that's a pride problem. So how many of you say, you know, you're right, Pastor. I need to humble myself. I need my one. I want my one. Will you pray for me? Because I'm telling you, I battle pride every day in my own prayer life. I battle it. And it just it changed my even my perspective last night. Lord, I need you. I need you. That's why I need to pray. That's why I need to read my Bible. That's why I need to tell people about Jesus. That's why I need to live for you. Lord, because I don't want pride to ever keep me from doing whatever you want me to do and being whatever you want me to believe. Father, in the name of Jesus, humble us so that we don't have to humble ourselves. Thank you for Mary, for her great example. Lord, may all of us walk out of here today. It'll be a different week. It'll be a different life that we live. If we'll just say every morning, just for today, I am the Lord's servant. Bless you for hearing our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. Today we were...